We are in 1 Kings chapter 19. Last week we were in 1 Kings 18 and all kinds of things in that chapter. We had lots of fun with that. We saw the great victory on the mountain as fire came down from heaven, burned up the sacrifice. Elijah takes the prophets out, false prophets, kills them all, goes and prays for the rain to come. We talked about why fervent prayer was needed, that sometimes people pray fervently and it's a waste of time. You cannot pray fervently for what you need to speak to. We saw in the same chapter how he uh, spoke to God and fire came down from heaven. But then it took seven times going into prayer to bring the rain. There was no battle in bringing fire down to heaven, but there was a battle in bringing the rain. We talked about some of the things that were involved with that. The uh, role of the enemy would, would play there. But after a great victory, you would think, calling down fire from heaven, out running a chariot, seeing rain come after three and a half years. That's a lot of victories in one chapter and really in one day. That's a whole lot of victories. We, we'd be pretty, that'd be a good week for us. How about that? <laughs> Maybe a good year. Huh? So let me start in verse 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword, and Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So Ahab comes and reports, and all he reports about is what Elijah did. Notice, it's, the Bible is very accurate in its words, so I'm going to pretty much say, he does not say that God did this, 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 and this. He said Elijah did this, 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 and this. So Jezebel gets mad at Elijah. And so she says, I'm going to do the same thing you did to my prophets, to you, about this time tomorrow. Now, she does not make an announcement in the paper. She does not put up a billboard. She does not make this public. She sends a messenger to Elijah. Elijah should first off think about it this way. If she was really serious about doing this, why send a messenger? If she's really serious about doing this, send an executioner. There is no reason to warn anybody that this is going to happen. Jezebel cannot do what she is threatening to do because right now he is a very popular man. And all Israel knows he called fire down from heaven. You can't just go and kill people like that. Remember the Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus but they were afraid of the multitude? Jezebel is afraid of the multitude around her so she does not announce this. She does not come out with this publicly, nor does she send an executioner. She sends a warning, hoping to scare Elijah. And Elijah became scared. Played right into the hands. Understand this, folks. Sometimes with the enemy, all he wants you to do, do, to do is to be fearful. He can't do anything else to you. So all he wants to do is get you fearful. That's it. And if you don't become fearful... He, 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 he doesn't know what else to do. But if you become fearful, <laughs> he's got you. Jezebel, there is nothing she can do but try and get him to be afraid. If she was really this mad, and gonna, why wait till tomorrow? <laughs> why, why wait until tomorrow? She's trying to give him time to, to get away, to get out. And, and if he runs, then she can say, I'm greater than the prophet. You're going to like this stuff. And it, 
for some reason, Elijah plays right into her hand. Now, Elijah had some expectations about this. How many of you ever gone into things that you did for God with some expectations? You kind of expected certain things to happen? Yeah. Well, I wrote some things that I, I sort of expect were in his mind. First off, he expected that the message would be heard. That all the people would hear the message that God is God. That was, that was what he came to the mountain for. Like, why falter between two opinions? If God's God, serve him. If Baal's God, serve him. So he figured the, me- the, the message would be heard. When God answered with fire, he figured the nation would repent. Is that not a fairly reasonable expectation? And then he expected that Ahab would take a stand. He's the king. He showed him who was God. And Ahab didn't take the stand to his wife. Now I put this in your outline for you. God's commands stand apart from our expectations. Sometimes we feel that when our expectations have been let down, we can veer off of God's commands. Whatever God has commanded us to do, folks, you do it whether your expectations are met or not. Your expectations coming in make no difference at all. You do what God commands to do. But God, I thought this would happen. (laughs) It don't matter. Verse 3, when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba. Now, this is astounding. You just called fire down from heaven, folks. If, If someone's coming after you, and he does do this eventually, but he doesn't do it here. I, I, I don't know what it is. He rose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. So he had a servant, someone who, who came along and helped him out with some things. And he didn't want to take him along. He, uh, Elijah's a, he's a loner. He likes to do things by himself. And so he had a servant. We really didn't even know the servant was there. But apparently he had one and he went with him over to Judah. He figured this is a fairly safe place. Who's king? Over, over here in Judah. Uh, well, Asa uh, becomes king and he is, is king for at least a little while in Ahab's reign and then his son becomes king and who's his son? Test, test your uh, Bible knowledge here. Jehoshaphat. Got two, king, two good kings right in a row. Asa and then Jehoshaphat. So no matter which king is reigning, you know, the end of Ahab's, uh, uh, Asa's reign, he, he was kind of mad at God, but we don't really hear that the nation departed from God. It's probably a pretty safe place to, to leave him. I would have think, thought for him, it'd be a pretty safe place for him as well, but he didn't stay there. Left a servant there and he went on. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree And he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Now, we've talked about this before, but if you really wanted to die, just stay there. (laughs) Right? If you really want to die, just just stay there. There's no real reason to go anyplace. But as he is going on this journey, he's probably getting more and more depressed, more and more down about what's, what's going on. And more and more, he's going over the expectations he had and what didn't happen. He's disappointed with God. He's disappointed with Ahab. He's disappointed with the children of Israel. He's disappointed with a lot of people, except himself. He did everything he could. He did all right. Everybody else failed in their part. He did okay in his part. 
Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. So he rose and ate and drank and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Horeb, the mountain of God. Anybody know why this is called the mountain of God? It is Mount Sinai. There's a lot of reasons, a lot of, ex- a lot of things people have brought up. Why is it called Horeb in some places and Mount Sinai in others? Some people think that one refers to the region and the other refers to the mountain. That is a possibility. Uh, it doesn't always seem to hold, hold water when you look at it because it does seem to refer to Mount Sinai and Mount Horeb, not just the region of Horeb or region of Sinai. Uh, one person, I was meant to copy that into my notes and I forgot who it was, well-known uh, theologian from way back. He actually thinks that what it means is that it's Sinai from, one, from the east side and Horeb, I think, from the west side. Could be. He has some reason, reasonable uh, expectations for, for making that stick. But it does seem that Horeb is, and Sinai are referring to the same place. So this is where Moses came. This is where the Ten Commandments came. This is where the children of Israel were brought to worship. This is where he goes back to. And he's told to go back there by God. We're going to get back to that in a little bit later. And he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone and left. And they seek to take my life. You're going to see, he's going to say this a few times. We've talked about this a uh, number of times in the past. He's rehearsed this. You know, if God ever shows up, have you ever said this? If God ever shows up, this is what I'm going to tell him. <laughs> if God ever comes down and says, why have you quit? Why have you stopped? Why are you not doing this? I'm going to tell him. And here's the reason. And you go over it, over it, over it, over it, over it, over it. You got it down. Same thing with a boss over at work. How many times have you rehearsed your speech for the boss over work for why you didn't get done what you didn't get done? Why so-and-so ought to be fired? All the different things we, we go over. It. But we rehearse it. We got it down. We have it down here like this. I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone and left, and they seek to take my life. Take this from his statement. Everyone else is bad. I alone and good. You, you look at his statement. Is there any reference to anyone else doing anything good? Nope. I have been very zealous for the Lord, God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets. So all the children of Israel, <laughs> they're not worth anything. I alone and left, and they seek to take my life. Now, is there any mention that God let him down? No, but is there any mention that God helped him? Mm-mm. He probably doesn't feel, you've been this way, you don't feel quite in a place to rebuke God, but you wish you could be. <laughs> I don't know if that's going, going through his mind, but um, uh, he may have forgotten that God sent fire. He may have forgotten that part. God sent the fire, uh, God sent the rain, and God came upon him and he outran a chariot. He may have forgotten that God was involved and that God did a few things, 
It's amazing how quickly we can forget what God has done. And we focus on what we have done. Put this in your outline. Usually, it is our wrong response to something simple. Usually, the reason we have a setback. It's our wrong response to something simple. We have all had setbacks in our Christian walk. Not, not all of ours are as grandiose as this one. This is a big setback. But he just came off of a very big victory. And this is a very big setback. Usually our response is generated from a buildup of emotions, not a reaction to a single event. This is not a reaction to what Jezebel says. This is a, this is a buildup of a whole lot of emotions that have been inside Elijah. And that was just the one that brought it out. Now, does that mean that Elijah is right? No, the buildup of emotion shouldn't have happened. He let it happen. But he doesn't see anything as his fault. He sees it all as everybody else's fault. I have been zealous for the Lord. So what was building up in Elijah? First off, a strong self-awareness. I know how good I've been for God. Right? If you are going to be set up for a setback, the one thing you will become very much aware of is what you have done. Understand this is a blinking red light. Warning. If you go all the way back to um, the Will Robinson days, remember the, the robot? Warning, Will Robinson. Warn- this is a warning. If you are becoming so self-aware that you are more mindful of what you are doing than what anyone else is doing. If you come to the place where you are more righteous, you are more word conscious, you are more spiritual, whatever it is, you are more than than anyone else. You are are letting the enemy set you up for a setback, for a failure coming up. How big it is depends upon what breaks the bank. But this is what he did. He has a very strong self-awareness. I alone am left. Does he just come upon this thought? No. Every place where he goes, he is mindful that he is the only one. And it, it could just be that Elijah is such a strong personality that when he comes into a place... It's hard to stand up and, you know, if I stand up and be a Christian, they're going to put me in the category of Elijah. And he's calling down fire and he's condemning kings and he's, he's doing some stuff. And maybe you just don't want to quite get aligned with, with that. I don't know what it is, but you can, have you ever been in a place where you feel like you're alone? How many people feel like you are the only born again person where you work? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it feels like there's no one else around. That's it. I was in a, in a high school of uh, 1,450 some odd students. As far as I know, there was one other Christian in school. 1,450 students in my school. As far as I know, there was only one other Christian. Now, I was, uh, you've heard some of the stories when I was, I, I had the Bible. I carried my bright yellow and orange Bible on top of all my books to every single class from 7th grade all the way up on, uh, I'm sorry, from ninth grade all the way on up to, to 12th grade. I had that Bible. I got beat up for that Bible. I got persecuted for that Bible. 
I got all kinds of things for that Bible. But I still carried that Bible. That Bible was with, with me in every single class. There was no one in school who did not know who I was and that I was a Christian. Most of them didn't care who I was. But there was no one. They'll ask that Bible. If nothing else, I was that Bible-carrying guy. Guy who carried the Bible. I was made spectacles in classrooms. I got in debates with teachers. Only one other student, there was a, a, a girl who was a year ahead of me. And she was a, uh, an on-fire Christian. And she was telling people about Jesus too. And um, that was it. Now, yeah, I'm sure out of 1,450 students, there were some other kids that were going to church. There were some other kids who uh, had made the prayer of salvation. But you can get a feeling that you are all by yourself, that you are alone. I went from there to a Christian college of uh, somewhere around 900 plus students, a Christian college. Well, you know, there were a few more Christians in the Christian college. <laughs> there wasn't that same feeling. But you all know how you can get that. You're pretty sure there are other people around, but they're just not making themselves known. And you become very self-aware. I am the only Christian. All right, that's the first one. So strong self-awareness. Second is isolation. No one else is as faithful as I am. And isolation by this. First off, we feel like we're very much aware of who we are, but... We isolate ourselves because no one else is going after God the way I am. Therefore, I need to shield myself from these lesser Christians, from these people who don't push after God the way I do. And you begin to isolate yourself from it because they're not as good. They will weaken me. You can get to feel like this. You begin to isolate yourself from these other, other folks. Uh, third, God's apparent inaction. This the seed of this thought will come into your mind and you will begin to think about it. God could have done this. If I was God, I would have done this. If I was God, I would have helped me over here. If I was God, I would have done this so people would see. And you can come up with all kinds of scenarios that if you were God, you would have done this. I don't know why God didn't. How in the world can he not see the wisdom in this? You see the problem you're getting yourself into? Falling into this kind of thing? But God's apparent in action. God's not uh, keeping me out of harm's way. God's not doing these things for me. And here's the fourth one, fear. That's the last one that will come. Strong self-awareness, isolation, God's apparent inaction. How many Christians do you know who have isolated themselves from church altogether because no one is as faithful, no one is as good, nothing is as good for me, and they isolate themselves? The Word of God says don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. You can't do it. Yeah, when you get in with a bunch of Christians, you're going to find out they all got problems. But you, guess what? You need them. You need them. If you don't have them, they're going. it's going to hurt you. You just don't know how much it's going to hurt you. You, you have no idea. We were, my, my running buddy, we went out to the group run last night. We were talking about it on the way home. And I, I thought we had had this conversation a few times before. But he's, he kept asking me, he says, why is it? that if you run with someone else, you always run faster. He said, I've been running most, he's been running most of the time by himself. He's been traveling and stuff. And he said, man, it's like nine minutes a mile. That's the best I can do. I go out there, I run there nine minutes a mile. He says, if you and I connect and we do, we're not even sweating and we can turn it an eight minute mile. Not, not even breaking, not even thinking about it. And, and then if we push it, we can go a lot, a lot better than that. And so I simply said, it's, it's, 
because I, I've heard, it's not like I figured it out, I'm not all that smart of a person. But I've been told, and I've, I've checked it out, when you were running with someone else, if you ever do anything like running or pushing yourself, there's times your body just naturally slows down. It just naturally slows down. And if you have nothing to compare it to, you don't know that you even slow down. Don't even know it. And pretty soon that slow down pace becomes normal. Until it gets so slow, oh, I think I'm going slower. And then you might speed it up a little bit. I says, when you and I run together, we don't slow down at the same time. I said, have you ever run with me and you feel like you're lagging behind? Yeah. He said, well, I do that when I run with you too. Sometimes I feel like I'm lagging behind you. And what we do? We speed up. See, when you get around other Christians, you may think that they're imperfect. You may think that they're not good. They're not helping you out, but they are. They're pushing you on. They're keeping you going. You need other Christians in your life. You've got to have it, despite their imperfections. But the enemy always wants to bring over how bad they are, how uh, this and that and the other thing. But you need them in your life. They will help you. Keep them in your life. Strong self-awareness, isolation, God's apparent inaction culminates in fear. I'm afraid to operate at the level I've grown accustomed to. Have you ever had a place in your, you're walking your Christian walk and all of a sudden you feel like, I don't know if I can sustain this. I don't even know how I've sustained it this long. That's where Elijah got to. And fear came in. I don't know that I can keep calling down fire from heaven. I don't know that I can keep bringing this nation back to a place of repentance. I don't know that I can keep doing all these kind of things because now he feels like it's me that's doing it because I got nobody else helping me out. God's not doing his job and fear will come in and it can come in and take over all at once. Is fear ever God's will for you? How many times did Jesus say, do not fear? God does not want you to have fear, but the devil does. And so he works this thing. The devil is a very patient person. He does not need victory today. He is okay with victory a year from now. As long as we're getting there. He'll keep wearing you down, wearing you away, slowly, slowly. He's okay with that. I think I kept this in your outline. I know I'm trying hard. No one is helping me, not even God. I perceive I'm out on my own, and it scares me. I didn't sign up for all this. Now, I don't know where I got this from, but I pulled this out of, out of uh, my, my notes. Depression symptoms. Because Elijah is in a state of depression. Here's, a, here's a depression. These are, this is not what I came up I found it somewhere. First off, withdrawal or escape. Second, moodiness. Third, apprehension or fear. Fourth, self-pity. Next, feelings of worthlessness. Another, loss of hope or confidence. Anger and irritability. Wrong thinking. Here's the last one. Physical exhaustion. Those are all signs of depression. If you are depressed as a Christian, know this, you missed it. It's not God's fault. You missed it somewhere. And you've allowed the enemy to erode your foundation. And now you're left with this depression. God does not want you to be depressed. What does the Word of God say? Be filled with joy. That's what He wants you to be filled with. All right. Problems or failed expectations can derail us from the path that God put us on. 
God puts you on a path where you're going to encounter problems and have some failed expectations, and that can derail you from, from where you're supposed to be. Elijah is not supposed to be here, but that's where he is. Now, this is an important one. I've given you this before. I'm going to give it to you again. We cannot remain mindful of God and our problems, failed expectations at the same time. We cannot remain mindful of God and our problems, failed expectations at the same time. You must put one down in order to take up the other. Which one are you going to put down? If you're going to be mindful of God, you cannot be mindful of your own problems, your failed expectations. You have to be being mindful of God. You've got to take that and set it down and pick these other things up. That's where depression can get in. That's where the problem comes in. All right. So we described the problem. How do we get out of it? Verse 11. Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. This is in case you missed it when I said it the last time, God. Obviously, you weren't hearing so well, so I need to tell it to you again. <clears throat> no, you don't need to say it again. What are you doing here, Elijah? This is what God's asking. Are you aware of the factors that brought you to this place? Elijah's answers are external factors. Every single one of them is an external factor. It's something that is happening outside. I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Everything is external. But God is talking about something that's going on internally. What are you doing here, Elijah? The factors that bring us to a point of depression where we cannot stand up to the attacks of the enemy are internal. As long as you look to what is going on outside of you, you will never get to the problem. The problem is on the inside of you. That's what you have to become aware of. It is not external. Jesus had a lot more things going on external. He didn't get depressed. Paul had a whole lot of things going on external. He didn't get depressed. Peter, as he served the Lord in the book of Acts, had a whole lot of things going on against him externally. He doesn't get depressed. John, so much going on against him externally, he does not get depressed. Why? Because they realized what was going on. And we need to do. So what did Elijah back down to? He backed down the queen gave a threat. What did he back down to? He backed down to a queen saying, I'm going to kill you. Now, here's a question. What will he stand up to? 
Here's the thing that a lot of times we lose sight with, especially when we get our focus on things that are external, things that are going on around us. We have lost sight of the path that we are on. We have lost sight of the buildup that God is doing for us internally. Now again, where is he? He is on Mount Horeb, specifically called the Mountain of God. Who else had a God confrontation on this mountain? Moses. Two people had a God confrontation on this mountain. What do those two people have in common? First off, they were both involved in the transfiguration. And secondly, they both show up in the book of Revelation as the two witnesses. We know Elijah is one. We're pretty sure Moses is the other. These are two people who are going to be put down in the middle of the tribulation and undergoing all kinds of persecution. They're going to be... There's no time to grow. They're going to be put down in that and all the world is going to target them for death. For three and a half years... They will be targeted for death. And they cannot kill them. That's what it tells us in Revelation. What God needs is to prepare these two to stand up against what they will face. Because no one who walks the face of the earth will face what these two will face. No one. This is going to be the greatest direction of pressure any man has ever known. Incredible pressure. It came against Jesus is probably right up there too. But th- this is going to be incredible. Jesus at least had some popularity. People are going to hate them from the beginning. They're going to be in the newspapers. People are going to constantly try and assassinate them and try and kill them. The Word of God says they try to kill them, but they cannot. Three and a half years of constantly people rising up against you, trying to kill you. Now look how they were both gotten ready for this. Moses, how many times did he wake up in his tent, stand outside, and the entire nation of Israel is out there to get him? Not only that, he had the entire nation of Egypt out to get him. He had the Pharaoh. He had the army. All these people are out to get Moses. Moses is used to multiple nations trying to kill him and no security around him. He's it. Now Elijah is doing the same thing. He's got nations, kings, and queens who want to kill him. And basically it's like this. Elijah, you better get used to this because it's going to get a whole lot worse. Now we look at Elijah's ministry and we, if we were Elijah, we would probably have some expectations. How many of you, with the miracles that Elijah did, would be expecting people to, get, to come to a place of repentance? For there's something to be good to come out of this thing. Does Elijah ever see anything really good come out? Not as far as we know, not much. A little bit here and there, but they're, they're in the whole lot. He's not even aware there's other people that are around that are saved. That's how successful he's being. But God is not looking for him to be successful here. He does not put him 
into the most depraved area of Israel. He didn't just put them there to change, turn Israel around. He's basically saying they're not coming back. That's all right. I need to get you ready for what's coming. Because one thing we do know is one of those two witnesses is absolutely, most definitely, Elijah. The second one is the only one that's in question. It is most likely going to be Moses, but we know the one has to be Elijah. Jesus even said it. Elijah will come. Elijah is going to come before the second coming of Christ. Elijah is going to come and prepare, prepare the way. But there are two witnesses. Because of the miracles that are ascribed to them, it would seem that Moses would be the other one. Because there are miracles that are put to both of these that only these guys did. One of them is calling down fire from heaven. Elijah did that like there's nothing. He didn't just do it the one time. He did it other times as well. Moses is parting seas, turning water into blood. It's going to go on. God is getting Elijah ready. Elijah is looking at, I am not having any success in what I am doing. And God says, I need to get you ready for what is to come. Because what is to come is far more important than what you're doing here. And you can't just be thrown into it and go. You have got to be prepared. You've got to be made ready. This is one of the, one of the reasons whenever we elect a president. One of the things I've always told you about for a president is they need to have run something big. You've got to be prepared. No one will run a country as big as the United States. You don't, you don't get to do that as a trial run. So you have to run something big that's next to it to get yourself ready. Otherwise, you're not going to be ready to, to do this. No matter how good you might be and all these things, you're, you're just not. Elijah is the same thing. I need you ready to take on persecution like you've never seen it. Because the persecution level in that time is going to dwarf everything you have faced here. And if you can't face this, you will not be ready for what's to come up there. So God says to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? I need you to hold up under this. I need you to be doing a whole lot better than this. Because I am going to need you. I've already prophesied that you're coming. I need you ready. It's important that you get ready. They both came to this mountain. They both were trained to face this kind of stuff by themselves. And the Lord said to him, Go return your way, on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Mahalah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every, every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he was with the 12th. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please, let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him, took a yoke of oxen, slaughtered them, boiled their flesh using the oxen equipment, gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he rose and followed Elijah and became his servant. So Elisha knew what, he was, what was going on when he threw that mantle on him. We don't really have to get into Elisha a whole lot right now. But here's the thing. If you want to get out of depression, if you want to get out of being down, if you want to get out of having this setback, this is what God told him to do. Go and do what I'm telling you. 
Whatever God has told you to do, get out there and do it. But I don't see what good it's going to do. I don't care. Get out there and do it. But he gave him three people to anoint. If you go on in the rest of the story, he only does one. His replacement. <laughs> That's it. He doesn't do anybody else. Elisha goes out and he anoints the other two. Elisha is the one who uh, anoints the king of Syria and the king of Israel. Not him. I put this in your outline for you. Failure today can mean victory tomorrow. Failure today can mean victory tomorrow if I am willing to change me. Just because you failed today doesn't mean the victory is not ahead. And just because you failed in what you're doing today doesn't mean that God's eyes are not more on the future than on your now. We so, we so much want to look at our now and say, if I fail at this, I failed God. And God says, no, I'm getting you ready for what is to come. You've got to be able to handle this. You've got to be able to go through this. Because it's going, to, it's going to get worse when you get into what I, what I have for you. You've got to get yourself ready. Yeah, there was a... I knew that I was missing all kinds of stuff for your outline because I, I was going through it. I said, I couldn't... I had to cut more out than this. I know I did. And there was a whole bunch of stuff I, I, didn't, uh, I didn't put in that I had in the notes. But here's the, here's the one thing. We gave you this some time back. Here's for the way back. The way to get yourself back on course is first off to do just as Elijah did. Remember this? Get up. Get back and get busy. He's way out of Israel right now. He needs to get up. He needs to get back. And he needs to get busy. That's the same thing for us. Because depression takes you out of doing what you're supposed to be doing. Get up. Get back. And get busy. Well, I want to feel better first. No, that's not how it's going to happen. You need to get busy. You need to get out there and get busy. You start to get busy, you're going to start feeling better. No, but if I only could feel a little bit better, then I... No. Stop telling God how to do it. You got Elijah. Follow his example. Is he feeling better right now? <laughs> I don't think he's feeling a whole lot because God's not really... God's not helping him out. Oh, Elijah, you have been so faithful to me. Man, I'll tell you what. I wish I had more guys like you. What's God say? Man, I got 7,000 others just like you. You want to step aside? I got... <laughs> Go ahead. I got somebody else I can plug in right now. <laughs> That's not exactly what he was willing, wanting to hear. Well, there's no excuse for not being where God wants you and doing what God wants you to do. There's no excuse. Don't try and... You can go to God and you can tell him all kinds of excuses, just like Elijah did. It ain't going to work. There is no excuse that will work for you. You can't... Well, well, people have treated me this way. That's not going to hold. Well, the enemy has been a real problem. Yeah, that's not going to work. Well, life has just handed me all kinds of disappointments. Yeah, that's not going to work either. It's, just not, it's not going to go. But don't allow these thoughts to get in because if you have these thoughts come in, they are seeds of pride. And they begin to take you over. And what does God do with the proud? He resists. Elijah right now, folks, is in pride. He's thinking, look at me. Look at what I've done. No one else is as good. All that. Now, here's the thing I really wanted to get in your outline. And I already had printed, brought it on over before I realized that this wasn't in there. A long time ago we gave you this. But it comes out of Romans 10.17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10.17. Here's the thing. We use the, we use the acronym TEAM for this. T-E-A-M. The first off, the truth will seldom be what you want to hear. When you are depressed, when you are down, when you find yourself in the place where Elijah is, the truth is seldom what you want 
to hear. You think, you think Elijah wanted to hear this? He did not want to hear this. this is, he had expectations probably. Once I bring this to God's attention, he's going to realize he needs me. And God didn't do that. The truth will seldom be what you want to hear. Second, the edification you desire will not always come to your ears. Well, if God, if you could just do this to make me feel better. If you could just say this. If you could just come along and say, well, Elijah, I really appreciate all the effort that you put in. I mean, you really put your life on the line. And but he, he, didn't, he didn't hear that. The action that is needed is probably not going to excite you. The truth will seldom be what you want. The edification desire will not always come to yours, and the action will probably not excite you. And here's the fourth one. The motivation to perform does not always come with a revelation. God may reveal to you what you need to do. He may have already told you, but understand this, the motivation probably doesn't come with it. Where does the motivation come from? You need to do it. You need to get there and be, uh, be motivated. But if you team up with God, God's plan will work. But you've got to team up with Him. Don't give Him your sob story. Don't, get, don't, don't rehearse what it is you're going to say to God. Don't be looking at the failures of the now. Because God is always looking at the future. Now maybe you say, well, uh, two witnesses are already taken. I'm not being prepared for that. Uh, that's probably true. We are, we're not being prepared for that. But you are being prepared to do something in the kingdom to come. Isn't that right? Aren't we all being prepared to do something in the kingdom to come? Which means you're not ready to do what God is going to have you to do yet in the kingdom that is to come. You're being made ready. You're being prepared. God may say, I want you to lead ten cities, but you're only ready to handle one. God may say, I want you to handle five cities, but you can't even handle one yet. I've got to get you to that place. And we're, just, we're so locked into looking at what we are doing and what the results are and how many people are not and how many people aren't helping us. We, we forget. We have an entire kingdom that is coming in which we will rule with him for 1,000 years. And each of us will have a place in that kingdom. And in this life, you are being prepared to do what you're supposed to do in the next kingdom. Whether or not you get ready is up to you. There will be many people who will have lived and died and not gotten ready for what they are to do. So you may not be prepared to be one of the two witnesses, but there's a whole lot of other things that are coming up. And are you ready for that? You're being made ready. How are you holding up? If you give in to depression... If you give in to the quit, like Elijah did, if you start wandering out in the wilderness, telling God, telling God I've been very zealous for the Lord, <laughs> you are not going to be prepared. And you won't be ready for what God has. The great victory that he had in chapter 18 was very short-lived. It didn't last more than a couple of days. But the victory that will come in the end will affect an entire world. An entire world is going to be affected by two people. So much so that the end result is when 
the, the protection finally lifts off them and the world is able to kill them. They lay dead in the streets for days while the world celebrates with the giving of gifts. It's like Christmas. They will give gifts to one another in celebration that the two witnesses are dead. And they're going to have them in the street. And you can just see CNN covering this. Here are the two witnesses. They are dead. They are 24-hour coverage. We already saw 24-hour coverage on the missing jet that they couldn't find. They, they like 24-hour coverage <coughs> of empty oceans. And they'll do a 24-hour coverage on two guys in the street. They are dead. And after three days, what's the Word of God say happens? They, dead people that they have already told the world these are dead. We've confirmed they're dead. Look, they haven't moved three days. The whole world will have confirmed these guys are dead. And then all of a sudden, they stand up. <laughs> and they go up to heaven. What do you think the world will do then? And not repent. Not repent. But this is what they're being made ready for. Moses couldn't just have a sight on, I'm just leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. Elijah couldn't just have a sight on, we're just taking the word of God and standing up for, for him in this place, trying to bring them back. to. He can't, he can't have a sight set on that. It's got to be something greater. And if he can't handle the Jezebels, how, how could he ever handle the Antichrist and his prophet? Jezebel was dwarfed by that one. Not even holding a candle. But these two guys are going to go toe-to-toe with them. They'll be prepared. So here's the thing. What is God getting you ready for? And have you lost sight of it? Have you lost sight of it? How did Joseph get ready for what God called him for? The day-to-day. The day-to-day stuff got him ready and got him prepared. Same thing with Moses. The day-to-day got him ready and got him prepared. Abraham, the day-to-day got him ready and got him prepared. Don't you overlook the day-to-day. Every day has its own stuff. Don't you overlook the day-to-day. You keep facing the day-to-day, the everyday stuff. You keep standing up for God. You keep learning. You keep growing. You keep doing what God says to do. And you're going to find out. Wow, God was preparing me for this. And look, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'll tell you what, it's going to be a good day when we get to the next kingdom and God says, this is what I was preparing you for. I hope we don't have to say, God, if I knew you were preparing me for this, I would have worked harder. I would have stayed with it longer. I hope we don't ever have to say that. Can you imagine the disappointment if God ever has to take one of his children over and says, all through your life, I was getting you ready to do this, but you didn't yield to me. So all I can do is put you into this. Oh, I'll tell you. I hope that doesn't happen. I hope it doesn't happen. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us. You are developing us. You are growing us. Your sights are set on the future. Too often, Father, our sights are set on the present and the past. But we need to look ahead. Depressed people look behind. Joyful people look ahead. Help us look past the hindrances and the problems and the people 
and the lack and all the other things and look to where you're taking us. We give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.